0: Hey what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number six. Just as a reminder if you don't know how to get questions sent into the podcast and get them answered just send it to me on email michael at scientifictriathlon.com and that's Michael with a K. Or you can send them to me directly on Facebook. I have a Facebook Messenger widget on my website, scientifictriathlon.com. So uh, you can just go to the website and on any page, you should see that widget in the bottom right corner and uh, you can submit your questions there. Before we get into today's questions, a big thank you to our sponsors. First, we have Stack that you can find on stackzero.com. That's uh, S-T-A-C, zero spelled out, dot com. They produce the world's quietest bike trainers. And in addition to being super quiet, because they don't use a resistance flywheel, but magnets, they are also very portable. You can fold them and store them underneath your bed, for example. So that's very convenient. And especially if you live in in a smaller apartment. And also they have these models with the exact features that you need or don't need. So at different price points with different features. All the way from the base model up to the new Stack Zero Halcyon, which recently won the award for the best bike training accessory at the big Eurobike uh, convention. So that's a very, very significant award to win for for a bike training company, and that just goes to show that Stack is actually at the front end of the bike trainer industry. With any of those models, whichever one you choose, you can get your trainer for 20% off with the promo code TTS20 on stackzero.com and warm welcome back to Ventum Ventum is back as a sponsor and they are of course the manufacturers of the ultimate triathlon bikes that use technology from fighter jets and formula one race cars and boy do they look like that beautiful bikes but in addition to being super fast, super aerodynamic, they are actually a lot easier to build, pack, and travel with than any other tri-bike, which is an advantage an advantage that is is often overlooked when it comes to, or a criterion that is often overlooked when it comes to selecting your bike. So definitely that's something to consider. They use standard components. It's uh, very easy. I actually just got my Wentum bike that I ordered a few weeks ago and put it together here and it uh, I can uh, attest that I'm not a good bike mechanic but it was uh, it was easy to put it together and also you can get 110% of the value of your old bike towards the purchase of a new Ventum bike so that's uh, another brilliant uh, way to finance the purchase of your new triathlon bike and you can use the promo code that show to get a free upgrade from training wheels to edco aerosport g065 race wheel when you order your ventum bike on ventumracing.com note that this won't be shown on your order but when you add that promo code that show this will alert ventum to make the adjustment to your order so you will be getting those race wheels rather than the standard wheels All right so let's get into today's questions. First we have uh, Alex Higham from the United Kingdom and he writes, hi Michael, having done pretty well in a handful of triathlons previously I decided to take it to the next level and have set myself the challenge of uh, qualifying for the GB middle distance age group team next year. I have a 2,000 uh, British pounds uh, Carbon Canyon Ultimate Road Bike. Am I putting myself at a serious disadvantage if I don't get a time trial bike? Do people ever qualify on normal racing bikes with aero bars clipped on? I heard I might do better on a hillier course, but what total elevation gain should I look for in a middle distance race, if that is true? Uh, So uh, yeah, and then there's a bit more to the email, but that's essentially the question. So thank you for a question, Alex. Alex, uh, as I wrote to you earlier, you can absolutely do it. The most important thing when it comes to aerodynamics is, after all, the rider and your position on the bike. So get a really good bike fit. Uh, go, that's the most important thing. And uh, actually, it means more than the bike, even if you get a bike as fast as a Ventum. Uh, but uh, the, the rider, the bike fit is uh, is a prerequisite for being fast. It doesn't matter if you're on the fastest bike in the world. If you have a poor bike fit, you're not going to go fast. And uh, a couple of anecdotal examples, I know that it's uh, been a few years already, but both legends of the sport Simon Lessing and Chrissy Wellington are famous for having won several Ironman races on road bikes with, with just clip-on aero bars. And uh, less famously perhaps, but personally I recently won uh, the 25-29 to 29 age group in Ironman 70.3 Qashqais on a road bike with clip-on aero bars so so i have some very recent experience myself from that and uh, as i said now i'm uh, buying a ventum and i have it here and i'm actually just waiting to go and do a bike fit on it before i'll start training on it so definitely there is that advantage of having the triathlon bike which is it can be quite considerable but at the same time uh, i can't complain having won my age group and qualified for worlds so you can do very very well on a road bike with clip-on aero bars and uh, Consider even that you can get a quite a good set of aero bars, and that can help you get into a really good position if you have a good bike fit done. I only had the the draft legal types of aero bars, which can only extend to your brake levers. So, so that's putting myself at an even more of a disadvantage when it comes to uh, to how I can position myself on the bike. But still, I managed to get pretty aerodynamic with with the right bike fit and those short clip-on aero bars. As for your other question about uh, the course selection, yes, you might do better on a hilly course, but it it really also does depend a lot on your your physiological uh, characteristics and attributes. So so on a hilly course, if you have a good power to weight, then uh, that is definitely going to be to your advantage, especially on a road bike. Uh, But uh, it is possible to get to a good uh, power to aerodynamics, which would be the more important um, ratio when it comes to flatter races, on a road bike again it all comes back to that bike fit so so that is super important but also your uh, your frame size basically not the bike frame but your body frame so for example personally uh, I'm uh, not super small but quite small which allows me to get aerodynamic even on a road bike just because my frame size uh, allows me to to get get pretty narrow in my uh, on my bike so, so the race that I raced, it had a long section that was very flat and very much favoring a power-to-aerodynamic uh, type of rider. But uh, that still suited me because I had pretty good absolute aerodynamics as well. And of course, then as it got to the hills, that was really where my forte was and uh, and I could climb really well on the road bike compared to my competitors on triathlon bikes. But that was, uh, that was only from 55 to 80 kilometers of the race, I think. The rest of the course was very flat or downhill and favoring aerodynamics so and the total gain that i had in that race was 600 meters i think so not very much if you are a bit worried that your aerodynamics will not be good enough uh, then definitely look for a race that has more elevation gain in the 1000 to 1500 meter range is what i would recommend and then you can really take advantage of uh, of a good power to weight ratio without worrying too much about the power to aerodynamics ratio. So, so for a half distance uh, race, that is, I'm just going to look back at your question. Yes, that that is what you were uh, trying to to qualify for. Uh, then uh, that 1,000 to 1,500 meters of elevation gain, that is what what I would recommend that you that you look out for. But do check that your uh, power to weight ratio is conducive for for that sort of of course. All this being being said, yes, you are of course putting yourself at a bit of a disadvantage, but it's not an insurmountable disadvantage. But you you do have to of course uh, get a little bit fitter than your competitors that are on triathlon bikes Uh, that is not impossible of course and it can actually be very motivating uh, i would say from personal experience to to have that sort of challenge that you're you're working towards but you have that little disadvantage but but i want to reassure you that it's uh, it's not as big as making this whole project impossible for you if you do uh, all the other things right and especially like If you take some of the money that you would invest in a triathlon bike and invest it in other things like uh, the bike fit on your road bike that we mentioned already, but also uh, coaching one-on-one swimming lessons, regular physiotherapy or massages, those sorts of things, then those investments can easily make up for that disadvantage that you have uh, in terms of being not as aerodynamic on, on the bike so uh, good luck Alex and uh, really I hope that you reach out to me when when you are getting to your goal races and uh, let me know how how you go I'm really uh, eager to hear how how it goes for you all right the next question is from Will Fenwick who I'm not sure from which country Will is I forgot to ask but he writes now that many athletes seasons have wrapped up or are very nearly wrapped up what is your take on post-season rest and recovery how long should an athlete take off and to what extent should their training exercise load be reduced during that time before entering into their off-season preparations? Do you have specific recommendations for how an athlete looking ahead to next year should approach their off-season? This is another very great and very timely question. So uh, first of all, uh, some related listening. Last week's Q&A, Q&A number 5, that was on the 25th of October. In that uh, episode, I discussed how to approach that off-season training. So so after you get out of your postseason break, essentially, you would get into off-season training, and I discussed that in, in that episode, so I'll link to the Q&A number five, where I do, do discuss that in the episode description of this Q&A, and a number six. So here, let's uh, focus on the question of how long you should take off, and to what extent your exercise training load should be reduced during that time. So first here, a big, big, big disclaimer, as usual, it depends and it's very individual. Uh, in many cases, though, there there are some rule of thumbs that you can follow. First, I would say that the more and the harder that you train over the course of the year, the harder you need to recover in the off-season, meaning, uh, not meaning that you should train during your, your rest, but actually that you need to take some serious time off and uh, make sure that you actually rest up really, really well. On the other end of the extreme, another example would be like, let's use a non athlete somebody who's just exercising, like for example, jogging three times per week. Do they need to take time off? Do they need to have an off-season or post-season break? No, they don't. They can do that year round, no problem. And uh, and that's what uh, they should do because you everybody every human being should exercise a few times uh, per week or ideally uh, a little bit every day so so those are some things to consider how much have you been training and how hard have you been training over the course of the year but in addition to the actual physical training that you do and have done you also need to consider the mental toll that it takes on you so for example a very seasoned triathlete might be able to train 15 hours per week and that may not be too much neither physically or mentally so they'll be fine with a short-ish post-season break and be completely ready both mentally and physically to get going again after that short break let's call it let's call it two weeks of uh, either complete rest or non-structured training i'll get into this later but so on the other hand somebody who's training let's say eight hours per week but they have stepped it up from training only five or five hours per week the previous year they have a serious increase in training load from one year to the next And they may need, not necessarily physically, uh, because if they have done this sort of training uh, year-round, they should be ready to get physically prepared in the same amount of time that that 15-hour athlete. But mentally, they have started training a lot more, probably gotten quite a bit more serious about their training as well. So they may need more rest to really be mentally fresh and, uh, and be full of motivation and eagerness to get going and get training again. So that is also very important to take into consideration. We're not just talking about the, the physical uh, recovery, but also the mental recovery and uh, regaining that eagerness to train again. So really, I sh- think that you should take a break from all structured training Uh, For as long as you need to. And this is where (laughs) the individual aspect comes into play. Uh, As long as you need to may vary a lot. But you should feel fully recovered physically. And you should also feel fully recovered mentally. And I also would say that the first day that you feel. Now I really want to go out there and train again. I can't wait. Please stop this post-season break agony. The first day that you feel that. That you think that. Wait for two more days with no structured training. And then you get back to training to make sure that you really have an abundance of mojo to get going training. So I know that I haven't really answered your question yet because I always think it's important to give examples and give some specifics. So here are some specific examples that will help you uh, figure this out for yourself. I think that over the course of a year, having at least two weeks with no swim, bike and run training is, uh, is a minimum. I don't think it has to be two consecutive weeks in the post season necessarily. You might make one of those non swim bike run weeks in a mid season break, for example, if you have a long season that is a great strategy to do it so so that that's something that I might apply with somebody who is training in in america where and in in parts of America at least where the weather is good or in Brazil where the season is really long. Whereas for somebody training in Finland, where the season is short, or Sweden, then that's a completely different story. They usually would not have. I actually would say that they have never had uh, under my coaching had a mid-season break, but rather than those two weeks would come at the postseason. But somebody in in California might have uh, might have one week as a mid-season break and one or two weeks as a postseason break with absolutely no swimming, biking, and running. In this no swim, bike, and run training block you can still, and should still, be moving, you can do a little bit of exercise, but I'll get to that a bit later. Uh, so, so that's uh, the first rule that I think that you should have two weeks in total over the course of the year with no swim, bike, and run training, and it can be more, and this depends on how much you train and how much recovery that you actually need. But in addition to these no swim, bike, and run weeks, I think that your post-season breaks is uh, In general, it should be at least two weeks, but that might be just one week with absolutely no swimming, biking, and running. And uh, the second week might be absolutely no structured training, but you do allow yourself to go for a short jog or a short bike ride if you really feel like it. Nothing long or nothing hard, just feel good exercising. And it can be swimming, biking, and running, or it can be something else. It can be going for a hike. It can be playing football, tennis, beer pong, or some other sport that you happen to like. And by the way, those uh, other uh, just go out for some fun sporting activities, those you can do as well in the no swim, bike, and run week. You don't have to completely shut down and just lay on the couch. And I don't think that you should do that either. If your last season of the race, eh, your last race of the season is what I meant to say. <laughs> Uh, if that is an Ironman, then things are a bit different. Then then I do think that you should have at least two weeks of absolutely no swimming, biking, and running. I think it's necessary and possibly followed by two more weeks of no structured, very minimal training. That's because the Ironman just takes so much more out of you, both physically and also mentally. And similarly, if you've had a very long season with a lot of races and a lot of consistent and intense training... Then I think the same thing applies with two weeks with no swimming, biking and running and one to two weeks of very minimal but optional non-structured training. So for example, here in Portugal, some of my teammates that are aspiring elite athletes have been training and racing at a very high and intense level from from March until the end of October. So it's a very long season and uh, and I know that they will have more or less a month with uh, with very little in terms of structured training, if anything, any structured training. To answer the question of to what extent your training should be reduced during that time and not necessarily be completely shut down, uh, again, in the non-swim, bike and run weeks, no swimming, no biking and no running. But I do think that you should keep moving, go for some walks, perhaps use uh, use a bike commute to work, maybe go to the gym, do some rock climbing, just feel good, exercise things that you like and enjoy doing. In those non-structured week where you are allowed to do some light running or biking or swimming, I think that at most one hour of exercise per day, is uh, that's the maximum you should go. You can go significantly lower than that. You do not need to train every day. But to give you an example of what uh, might be an appropriate week in that non-structured training week, for example, something like one swim of 45 minutes, two runs of 30 minutes, and one bike ride of one hour. And then one to two other exercise modalities that you just do for fun. Like the tennis or rock climbing or whatever it is. So something like that might give you an idea. And perhaps add some mobility and core strength if you want to. Uh, and uh, that's about it. I hope that it answers your question. One one more thing that I should mention, by the way, is that it is very important that you go into the postseason break with the right mindset. And the right mindset here is that taking this break and taking it seriously will make you faster. You need to recover fully, both physically and mentally, to then be able to take your training to the next level in the coming season. That's what you are doing. You have been building up, building up, building up, and doing a lot of training, a lot of racing, but also your you have been sort of reducing your body's ability to to absorb much more training load. Now you want to slightly reduce your fitness and again increase your body's responsiveness to training as you take your break and if you do that and you make it a long enough break not just two days then your responsiveness will be at a higher level than it was. It's sort of a long-term adaptation to training so do take that mindset that this is important in your process of becoming a faster triathlete and a better triathlete. But of course, I've also mentioned before that I think that for some age groupers, too long season breaks is a problem and something that's holding them back. So just take a moment to think about where you fall on the spectrum of taking too long breaks or not taking long breaks enough, or perhaps you are already taking your breaks just at the right amount. So think about that. Use that awareness of your tendencies to find the right balance for you hope that you enjoyed these questions and uh, found my answers useful and insightful i have before we go a very exciting announcement to make i have just launched a new training plan and this is my intermediate 70.3 or half distance training plan it's 16 weeks long and on average it has eight and a half hours of training per week just as with uh, my previous plan that I launched, the strength training plan, and probably with all future plans uh, that I will launch, I want to reward the early adapters. So there is a launch promo, and that is sixty percent off the price of the training plan until Sunday, the eleventh of November. So uh, that's uh, a great, uh, great promo, and you can use the code launch sixty. That's launch six zero. Uh, at uh, the checkout page on Training Peaks, when you buy this plan, uh, the link to the plan is in the episode description, or you can just go to scientifictriathlon.com and in the training plans drop down menu, you just click through to intermediate 70.3. And uh, as I mentioned there, the plan is currently only available on Training Peaks, but as usual, I will make PDF versions as follows. And if you purchase on Training Peaks now, you will get that PDF version at no extra cost when it is ready and also because some people are asking me this yes you can use my training programs on training peaks even with a free training peaks account and on that uh, page on training peaks that describes the program in more detail you will find sample workouts and a more thorough description so you can see if it's uh, right for for you and uh, that's about it. I'll link to that in the episode description here. Or as I mentioned, just go to my website, click through to Intermediate 70.3 under training plans. Big thank you to our sponsors Ventum that you can find on VentumRacing.com. If you are in that position, as relating to our first question... Uh, you have sort of maxed out on your road bike abilities like I feel I have, which is why I have ordered a Ventum and now I'm starting to train on it within a few days. Then the triathlon bike that you choose, you want to choose a fast one and uh, that, in my opinion, is uh, a Ventum. They have done some incredible testing and incredible research and development that goes into these bikes. You can listen to my interview with, uh, with Jimmy Sear, for example, in episode 116, I believe it is, I'll link to it in the episode description as well where he talks about, about how the, the research and development and how they go about developing the Ventum bikes and it is very impressive. So you can rest assured that it's a very, very, very good bike and you will not be disappointed with the speed they will bring you. And as I mentioned, you can get upgraded for free from training wheels to EDCO Aerosport G065 race wheels. When you order your bike on Ventum and use the promo code that triathlon SHOW all one word, all caps. And a big thank you to Stack that you can find on stackzero.com. Uh, that's where you can check out the specifications for all the different bike trainer models. All of them are completely silent. All of them are portable and foldable. And for all of them, you can get 20% off your order when you use the promo code TTS20 on stackzero.com. Thank you as always for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.